everyone and welcome to part two of the podcast episode that I'm doing with Aaron. So welcome to part two and if you haven't not seen, if you have not seen part one, I suggest going back to the episode before this one and listening to that because this episode will probably not make much sense if you haven't listened to that podcast. We also like listed on the list of like topics that we can talk about. The experience of being dyspraxic and autistic is like you referenced some of the like other support as well as the support you could be able to access in school. And some of that you referenced was that you'd be able to have speech language and physiotherapy for dyspraxia, but also that might be helps your autism, though you've not had access to that with an autism diagnosis and possibly maybe had occupational therapy. So can you give an idea of what leg rider support that whether it's in school or out of school that from your diagnosis you had support with? I don't remember, but I've asked my mum loads, so I know, I know like what what it was about so I got it when I was from like age seven to 11 I think 11 years old got speaking speech and language therapy physiotherapy occupational therapy and with them it was like just with the speech and language it was like talking like saying like 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 riddles like child-friendly obviously riddles and like words and speaking and then I had the coordination where I t- learned how to skip throw a ball be like depth perception understand my space and time and stuff like that really I remember um doing the paper clips so like putting paper clips together to make a string and then taking them apart, which for a neurotypical might be easy, but it's like a very fiddly task to do. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the more practical tasks, as you said, with like the paper clips and you know, cats and forward balls, that probably was included with your occupational therapy. And that's yeah. some yeah, and it's like I remember having occupational therapy for myself, uh, like with just facts over like a few years. But like that also can include it for myself with, uh, you know, uh, like trampoline, you know, yeah, stuff like how to use trampoline balls, like, you know, balance stuff, like uh, using balance boards and like certain like where we would be like trying to do different, like using scissors and st- different stuff like that. So, yeah, like, you know, occupational therapy is something that I just... When I touched on before with an interview with the occupational therapist, it can be helping people in a wide and broad way of, you know, at any age. But it has, like yourself, it's only something that I had access only for like a short period of years and maybe something that sort of have access, you know, like following on in a few years' time because... It's something that can help you at different stages of your life, as you say, can help you like into adulthood, learning those skills for when you go into like university and start into being independent adult because they, they help in different ways. And like yeah. when like experience art, like uh, I remember, like I don't think like 
are the best. Like, remember the uh, occupational therapist that now notice as a matter of my autism because, like, my mother did reference when meeting with her at one point that, like, it, like I was diagnosed autistic and maybe in a bit at the end of my uh, dyspraxia take. Uh, not my dyspraxia diagnosis, but after my uh, occupational therapy experience, uh, that, you know, I was autistic. But she, I guess she didn't recognise that as me being autistic, the uh, occupational therapist. But, like, I'll say that stuff like that can still help with dyspraxia in terms of practical skills. But it's, like, something that I've not to, you know, experience late you know, continued in terms of supporting my autism. So, like, what, like, how did you find was your experience with, like, speech and language therapy, autism, uh, no, no, occupational therapy even, and uh, physiotherapy? How, like, do you find that was, like, positive and helpful thing for yourself? I think so. I don't really remember it because it happened, like, in primary school, but... I yeah. think it was positive. I don't I don't remember anything bad from it, which is yeah. a good sign. Yeah. And <laughs> like something I definitely didn't remember having met. So I think I only went once as physical therapy. Like so what was that for yourself? I remember like jumping on one foot to we were doing lots of like skipping, like tightrope, chucking balls back into just stuff like that. But like uh, like but like doing it like step by step. Ah, uh, so more about the fine and gross motor skills, you know, like those type of things helping you that yeah, can then understand. So I can assume that it's been some years since you had to support with that, you know, in yeah. terms of get getting uh, you know, stuff like that. And there's something I guess that happened more into you know, like primary school aids and didn't follow on to secondary school. No, it didn't carry. I don't, I didn't, I remember it happened. Like I was 10 or 11 when it stopped. But I've been doing like doing it for so many years that although I'm so like clumsy right now and I still yeah. like cut myself or like by accident, um, I don't really, I've improved a lot. Like physiotherapy helped me so much. So I've just improved to a point where I still struggle, but I don't struggle as much. I think it's like that thing of, you know, over years, you kind of develop and learn in certain areas and like find, I guess, find even where you have like, as say, like now you with your podcast where you talk about you know, like your own disabilities in terms of autism and dyspraxia, I guess, from that, you know, you, since you're sharing your own experience, that you learned different things that you can give tips and advice on how, on what things have helped you and different skills and stuff you learned on the way to like coping mechanisms in terms of dyspraxia, maybe in terms of executive functioning to make sure you like you kind of got your like time management sorted to, you know, like managing like your day-to-day life as like in, in being an independent adult. How would would you say that right now, like your autism dyspraxia affects you today as an adult? Definitely would. I'd say it affects me definitely like with that perception crossing the road, mainly like when I'm making food, 
I always forget to put stuff away at straight away. So then things get a mess, things get tipped over. I get food on myself all the time. Although I'm surprised, like I wore this top yesterday, I'm surprised it's not dirty today. <laughs> um, my autism. I think with some with making eye contact, I I try to. I know it's not good all the time, but I do try to make eye contact. But I find it hard. Like a lot of the time when I'm talking, like I put my head somewhere else, like I look at a, like I look at a wall or look at something that's appealing to me, or like my phone, like I'm looking at a picture, and it's like it's like there are podcasts in the background. Like I'm listening to them and talking to them, but I don't have to look at them. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's something that you know, like I don't don't like. I I think like I can't, you know. Uh, Remember, like a time, like since I really focused or thought about making eye contact as such, because, like, I think it may be like something I was like a, a child, you know, because like they made that like something, you know, if like you know, plucked up on like as something that's noticeable, like as an autism treat, and sometimes you feel like you're like gonna make as a young person. Like, but I don't think there's ever really been much of a time where it made so much eye contact. But it's one thing I find uh, is can kind of when that people who aren't autistic might not realise that it can feel quite painful if you make an eye contact. You know, like it's something that is taking a lot of effort and energy and like it does, you know, it makes the brain a bit uncomfortable with it. I guess, like as I say, you're making make an effort for... Eye contact, I guess. Would you say, like, since you like late was late diagnosed as in last year, you know, were, is it something that with autism? Is it something that you would say that you know be, be, you masked over the years, and it's one aspect of like how you still masking or when or like you know things are you just still assimilating with new typical people. I'm. I think I'm still masking. Like I'm still. I'm still masking. Like even nowadays, but I'm trying my hardest to unmask. I think it's like hard because when you when I notice when you try to unmask, people think you're like a different person. Yeah, I get. You know? I get what you mean by that. And yeah. Like sometimes you know it's like not as easy to unmask, and I say it's like. You're like at the point of trying to find yourself and what yourself looks at, uh, you know, like unmasked. And, you know, like it's sometimes, you know, like for whatever, like yourself is unmasked, you know, it's not probably not like as like typical standard behavior that people would expect from yourself when you're unmasked. And, yeah. you know, like, guys, sometimes it's like not so how people would handle it. You unmasked as well as since, like, you know, uh, things get complicated as well, you know, with people. So, like, it's sometimes it's like finding a bit is the best way to be in a short, you know, like social situation. Yeah. So, I know for me, like, I try to, I tried to set boundaries when I be, when I got, when I was diagnosed and I was thinking, Things that I've put up with, for example, I don't like people like touching my hair or like if I'm not feel comfortable, people, even people just like give me a hug or like rub me, like 
like pat me on the shoulder like I don't like it so I tried to set a boundary like say like say it nicely obviously but yeah. people were almost like taken back because they're like you've never had that issue before what's like w- like we don't mind but what's the issue right now <laughs> yeah and it's one of those things that yeah like it actually like as I said like but the you know like the guest I was interviewing yesterday as an autistic child and they noticed like basically from me when the child was like a baby like oh like they're sensitive to different like touch then and as seen then you know like it's something that you're sensitive now to touch it's like something that you always probably been sensitive to to touch since you like was a young child but something that I guess you know like you had small reactions and like you know like it didn't seem as noticeable to other people but I guess it's like since you got diagnosis now and since you kind of I guess trying to feel a bit more comfortable in your autistic self and as before you was like neurodivergent assuming no neurotypical assuming and you was trying to assimilate everyone that you didn't really like I guess put out a noticeable reaction that people would know you were like struggling with been touched yeah I sort of I remember like I sort of like dimmed it down I I thought I thought it was a me issue that I should like I should like try and just like the more the more I put up with it the more it's going to get easier which obviously is not the case <laughs> and you know like from like the person who said you're like probably autistic at the age of 17 to like when you got your diagnosis last year what was the like the path to for you yourself realizing you're autistic and what was the things that you kind of accumulated in your head and put together and thought ah I'm autistic and it's something that I would want to guess you know pursue getting a diagnosis and pursue I guess finding your neurodivergent self. I I remember I was going, I think I was going through a rough patch, like, one year when I was, like, 20. Like, no, no, when I was, like, 21, 22, I was going through a rough patch. I was having, like, meltdowns, things were getting to me and stuff like that. And I remember my mum was, went to a, my mum does, like, property. So she went to a property convention thing. And she was speaking to somebody and she was, like, oh, my daughter's got dyspraxia, but she's, like, having a hard so she's having like meltdowns and stuff she's finding it hard and stuff like that and then she turned around and was like I work with kids who have autism and that sounds like autism like not not the meltdowns she, she said other stuff as well but like um she's like that sounds like autism a little bit so my mum comes back to me and she's like research what autism is Athena like because I think because I think you might have it but do a little bit of research and just see yeah yeah and I guess she was in a period of like you know be like burn out all like you know like I guess it's like probably all the years of being autistic then it's just like bit of autistic burnout for yourself in that period and so from that what was like the thing that you thought actually that you never might be on something and what was the like the stuff that you started researching and started looking up and what was places um, that you was going to to find out information? I had a quick look on Google and the NHS website, but that was like very, very brief. 
I really like went to YouTube and had a look at um, lots of content creators who were autistic, lots of Instagram creators who are autistic. I got all my information off creators themselves who are autistic, which actually I think is like the best thing to do. And I remember going into university, I got put into a flat with 10 people and the majority of them had autism, ADHD, dyspraxia, there was like less people there was like less people who didn't have it and more people who did have like autism dyspraxia ADHD I remember like being around them and talking to them about what I was experiencing and thinking I don't know whether I have it I might have it I might not have it and them going well we've like and them going well we've been in this flat with you for a couple of months and like I we see a lot of similarities uh, in you were that like how we act and how we respond. Uh, ah, what was that? What was that experience like being in a like a like a accommodation with of a dyspraxic or autistic and ADHD people? What was that experience like? And what was the things that they were picking up on? And what was it the thing that you thought that yeah, they definitely right and what made you confident that you definitely were autistic and artistic and so I'd like get like they'd have like flat parties sometimes and some people some people love some people like who are autistic like love the like bright lights loud music some people did but I I didn't really like the loud music and stuff and I when I was giving my reasoning they were like yeah yeah that's they were talking about that and I was I said I think I was always saying is that to do with autism and they're like possibly yes and I was like, I can't filter out noises. Everything's just merging into one. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like autism. And I was this one girl. I don't really talk to her now, but she was like pretty adamant that I do have it because when I first went to her, she was giving everyone hugs and I didn't want to hug. And she was like, you didn't want to hug. And you were like, I don't like sensory because I don't want to hug. And she was that was a big sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess I would be a sign. And some, but like I'll say... That I guess it's like probably found quite something that you know, like from that you know, like when reactions to like guess pizza from all of our different experiences when you were touch sensitive, and so what was the diagnosis or process like for yourself? The diagnosis process was it was very fast. I went to my GP and I thought I said, "Am I? I I'm just going I think I'm autistic. What's the route to go down?" And they turned around to me and was like, I don't know. I don't have, we don't know where to send you. Can you try and figure it out on your own and come back to us? Because my my GP just didn't have any information. Apparently, they never had anyone on their system that was autistic. So they didn't have a clue. Wow. Well, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and, it's like, suppose not, you know, like, I thought you, like, you would think at least most GPs, like, literally, like, and. In any surgery, like at least in Britain anyway, that you would have, like, the doctors would at least be informed of what your local, uh, you know, places to send post people who, who think they are autistic or need support for, like, autism yeah. or mental health. And, yeah, that is something quite concerning then. is And it's like before, sometimes it is quite hard to, like, be if you need help with like you know like mental health support sometimes is something that you don't know 
how does St. Paul's River is quite telling, I guess, how maybe of a problem it is still to get a diagnosis or get support from your GP. So from, you know, when you was doing your own research into, like, how to get diagnosed, what what did you find with that research and what um, was the... we tried to we tried to get people to try and talk to our GP, but everyone was just saying it's real everyone was saying that our GP has to come to them and give a referral, but then the GP was saying no, they need to come to us. It was going it was going in this back and forth for a year that was getting absolutely nowhere to the point where we just gave up and went private. I guess it must have been quite complicated then and like like I guess maybe a bit trouble with your local NHS board in what the public services could help well, you out of. Well, the thing is, the doctors is absolutely amazing. If you like, you like it, they're amazing with everything over their mental health. Uh, amazing with everything, uh, which is like odd. <laughs> yeah, but that's quite good, Henry, because I think with, with lo- local doctors, like sometimes it can be so hard to get an appointment or like. Get like get a response from them because I guess you know like it's just like not me- many like types can actually get through and speak to somebody there. So I think there's so many different like you know b- like heart thing barriers to getting support with mental health or you know getting support with GPs in the UK and it's like a postcode lottery of getting a good service and getting actual mental health support. So I hope you enjoyed that episode part two of our of my our mini podcast series that we're doing. It's technically one podcast, but it was an hour and a half. So I decided, I made the executive decision to split it up into three chunks of 20 so we can enjoy it in little pieces, short form content really. So I really hope you enjoyed that podcast. I'd love it if you could let me know what you're loving about this podcast series, what you're loving about my podcast as a whole. I'd love it if you could subscribe, maybe give me a five stars. I've only got like two five stars and I'd love it if I could have some more or or rate me whatever you want to rate me. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook, both at Life Through Dyspraxia. And yeah, I hope you're loving this podcast and loving my, loving all the podcasts. I really hope so. So I will see you next week. No, I will see, so I will see you on Friday for the final part of the podcast part. So it'll be part three. And within part three, We'll just be wrapping up what we've been talking about. It'll just be a very smooth transition, but it'll be fun. So I'll see you then. Bye.